Well, good morning, Grace Vineyard. Everybody else joining us listening to this talk for our website or watching on YouTube. Over the last seven weeks, we've been working our way through the Beatitudes, the blessed are statements at the beginning of the chapter. And this morning we come to the last blessed are statements in verse 10 to 12. So as we start, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing promise that no matter what opposition or persecution we may face, if we continue to follow you and live by your example, we will enter your kingdom. Please help us to understand what these Beatitudes mean for us today and help us to live by your kingdom values no matter what the cost. Amen. The first seven blessed are statements that we've studied in the previous weeks deal with the character of a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and living a lifestyle that is countercultural to the world around us. So if you missed any of the talks in this series, I would encourage you to go and listen to them. Now here in, uh, in these verses 10 to 12, Jesus devotes much more time to this area of discipleship, of persecution for righteousness. And he personalises things by moving from saying, blessed are thee or those, to blessed are you. So this morning, as we conclude our walk through the Beatitudes, I thought it would be good to read through them all again and just remind ourselves what they say. Matthew 5, 1 to 9, and then 10 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we've seen, on previous weeks this is a completely different way of living to the culture around us and I'm going to use the same quote that I used last time from Richard B Hayes from the moral vision of the New Testament the counterintuitive paradoxes of the attitudes alert us to the fact that Jesus new community is a contrast society out of sync with the normal order of the world they describe an upside down reality or more precisely, they define reality in such a way that the usual order of things is seen upside down in the eyes of God. And here in verses 10 to 12, Jesus makes his hearers aware of the probable consequences of living God's right side up. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Which firstly brings us back to righteousness. On what righteousness is Jesus talking about here? Well, last time I said Jesus' usage of the word was based on the Old Testament understanding of righteousness as an attribute and activity of God, which he imparts to us as he rules and reigns in our lives. 
But here we, we need to delve a little bit deeper into what Jesus is getting at. And to do so, we need to go back to first century Jerusalem and the context of when Jesus actually said these words. And the first clue is in Matthew 5.20, which I read last time. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. George Eldon Ladd, who'd been an influence uh, of John Wimber and the vineyard in its thinking on kingdom theology, in his book, The Gospel of the Kingdom, says this. In our text, the righteousness now demanded is set in contrast with the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. This is significant because they were profoundly interested in righteousness and professional students of religion whose main objective was the definition of righteousness. And to do this, they compiled a long list of traditions and rules defined to the nth degree. You know, they define what righteousness was and how to keep it. These traditions and rules were recorded uh, in the Jewish Mishnah and later in the Talmuds, which are records of rulings by rabbis of what can and can't be done. Jesus challenges and te teases the Pharisees about this. And we have a, an example of this in Matthew chapter 23, um, verses 1 to 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, and this is after he's had a bit of a run-in with the Pharisees and the scribes. So Jesus says to the crowd and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. I think he's being a bit facetious and a bit sarcastic there, isn't he? But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And this still goes on today. More and more definitions and rules to live by are added to the Talmud to ensure that the Jews remain religious and righteous and don't inadvertently break the law. For example, for his major annual speech in 2003, Chief Rabbi uh, Ovidiah Yosef uh, delivered a ruling which was beamed by satellite to his followers in Israel and all over the world, forbidding nose-picking on the Sabbath. His reasoning, Jewish law forbids shaving and hair-cutting on the Sabbath because this would be deemed working. So when you pick your nose, the rabbi says, you'll be risk pulling out tiny hairs inside your nostrils, which in turn would be deemed hair-cutting and therefore work and therefore forbidden. Now this heavy load of rules and regulations is exactly what Jesus was talking about in this passage in Matthew 23, when Jesus challenges the uh, scribes and Pharisees and he's challenging their way of attaining righteousness. And in challenging this, he's challenging the very foundation of their society, their power and their authority. No wonder there was opposition which ultimately resulted in Jesus being crucified. So the righteousness Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes isn't obtained by following a set of rules. Also, it's not obtained by gaining a set of merit badges like I did when I was in the Scouts. 
The righteousness of the Beatitudes is about relationship with Jesus and the outworking of the attributes and activities of God working through us as he rules and reigns in our lives. That is why Jesus warns his hearers here in the Beatitudes that they will face persecution if they pursue his kingdom and God's righteousness and follow his example. So what does Jesus mean by persecution? You know, we've looked a bit more at righteousness and we've defined it a bit more today. So let's turn to the harder part of these verses and grasp what it means to be persecuted. And notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say if you're persecuted, but when you are persecuted. And you have to read the first few chapters of Acts to see this begin to happen as the religious leaders react to their power and authority being challenged by the disciples, when Stephen is, is stoned to death, then Saul's persecution of the Christian church and the followers of Jesus, then riots when Paul turns to Jesus and his uh, floggings and whippings and stonings, and on and on right to the present day. Wherever God is building his kingdom of light and life, the kingdom of darkness and death will oppose it. Today persecution is prevalent in our world and Christians are some of the most persecuted religious, is one of the most persecuted religious groups on the planet. Here are a few examples of what's happened just this year. 1st of January, Islamists execute five Christians in Nigeria. In a video of the killing they declared this is a warning to Christians in all parts of the world and those in Nigeria. On the 12th of January, anti-conversion movement spreads in India. Growing threat to Christians, uh, states in India pass laws banning religious conversions and they replace existing legislation with tough new laws intended to prevent Hindus changing their religion. March the 29th, Easter prayer call a church bombed in Indonesia. Release International is calling for prayer for Christians preparing to celebrate Easter in trouble spots around the world. This follows a church bomb attack in Indonesia which wounded up to 20. Um, 18th of May, just last week, killing Christians rise in Nigeria, in Nigeria, three new reports. Three new reports confirm the growing spread of violence against Christians in Nigeria. According to the latest reports, between January and April this year, no fewer than 1,570 Christians have been killed for their faith. These reports confirm the growing spread of violence in Christians in Nigeria and across the world. But despite this persecution, the Christian church is still growing in these areas of the world. The only part of the world the church is shrinking is in the West. Why? Well, the fact is, it doesn't cost us much to follow Jesus in the West, does it? We can so easily be, be sucked into a comfortable type of Christianity that doesn't challenge those around us, doesn't provoke the reaction that these other uh, Christians have sought, because we're not living in a way that actually creates a reaction. And we don't get the opposition that Jesus, the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, and those mentioned in these encounters have. Therefore, the Beatitude challenge us to evaluate our lifestyle and our values 
the way we view our possessions, our money, our time, our ambitions, our identity, our family, and compare them with the life and example of Jesus. Romans 12, 1-2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And in the message, Eugene Peterson puts it like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Can I read that bit again? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. For us in the UK at the moment, we don't live under an oppressive government or regime as those in the examples that I read just a moment ago. Although it is becoming evident that opposition to kingdom values is growing in this country. Take the case of the Belfast Bakers, for instance. Initially, Daniel and Amy MacArthur were found guilty of discrimination against homosexuals and fined £500 damages and probably labelled bigots and homophobes. However, they appealed to the Supreme Court and the court overturned the verdict saying this court has held that nobody should be forced to have or express a political or religious opinion or any other opinion in which he does not believe. But being no doubt that if we choose to follow Jesus and live by his example, persecution will happen like it did to the MacArthur's. In the book Voice from the Hills, Phil Greenslade has a quote by Leslie Newbegin, which says this, The gospel is a name and a fact. The fact is that the kingdom of God is breaking into human affairs. The name is Jesus, through whom this is happening. The invasion of the kingly rule of God is a threat to all other claimants to human allegiance and terrifies the powers that be. So let's read what Jesus says to us in Matthew 11 again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice this will happen because of our faith in Jesus and our choice to live his right side up in this upside down world. That's why the world persecutes us. They don't love Jesus. They don't want anything to do with him. So if we want something to do with him, they will turn against us as well. But Jesus goes even further in verse 12 and says this, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. 
for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the world and the devil have always persecuted people that want to turn to God. We might think this is hard to do, but I've seen this working itself out firsthand when I went on a mission trip to Romania in 1990, less than a year after the revolution that deposed uh, the dictator Ceausescu. I met Christian after Christian who told stories of persecution, of raids on their homes by the Securitate, searching for evidence to bring charges against them, searching for printing equipment, searching for anything they could to turn against them. They told of their leaders and themselves being in prison for their faith. And what did they do? They did exactly what Jesus says here. They rejoiced and they were glad. Why? Because they had something that was worth being persecuted for. A relationship with Jesus and an assurance that great was their reward in heaven. Notice also what Jesus isn't saying here. Because he isn't saying we should go looking for persecution as something we need to achieve, like the scout badges I mentioned earlier, or some standard we have to measure up to before we are blessed. But also, let's not be caught out or surprised when persecution does happen, because Jesus says it will. So how to conclude our examination of the Beatitudes? As we've considered each one, we've seen how they build on each other in a transforming progression. The Beatitudes are not only about what disciples do, but more fundamentally about who they are in Jesus. The Beatitudes are about participating in the rule and reign of God in our lives as we respond to Jesus. They declare the dawn of God's kingdom, rule and righteousness fulfilled through his Son. They are not a set of rules we have to live by or merit badges that we have to gain. This response to Jesus may bring opposition and even persecution. Remember Jesus said when, not if it comes. But let's remember to rejoice and be glad because great is our reward in heaven. And finally, the question to all of us is, are we prepared to be different to the world around us and live the life that Jesus calls us to? To live counterculturally, right side up in this upside down world, no matter what the cost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know everything about us. Thank you that you know the struggles that we face and the temptations that come to us to conform to the world around us rather than be different and live by your values. Help us to hear your voice guiding us along this road of life and to follow your example and live by your kingdom principles, no matter what the cost. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. And you can find out more about Grace Vineyard on our website at www.gracevineyard.co.uk. And now I'm just going to move to some questions for our breakout rooms in a moment. And I'll leave this up for a while and I shall say goodbye. <laughs>